Today's message is from a series entitled, Great Questions of the Bible. What can we learn from divinely inspired questions that are answered with the same inspiration and authority? Listen to the Word of God speak in this first episode of Great Questions of the Bible. You know, by nature, people are curious. Uh, We ask a lot of questions. And that's good because that's how we learn. That's how we figure things out. And so people often have a lot of questions. And a lot of times they have questions concerning the Bible. But this series is not about man's questions about the Bible. This is a series about questions in the Bible. And so while there are many questions that are floating around in society today in reference to the Bible, we are looking at questions that are actually found in the Scriptures themselves. Scholars have estimated there to be around 3,300 questions in the Bible. This is going to make for a very long series. Of course, we won't look at all of those. And they estimate because in the Greek and the Hebrew language, there are no punctuations. And so uh, they have done their best as scholars to see where things begin and things end and come up with the questions that we have in the Scriptures. In the Scriptures, we have many questions that are asked by men and that are asked by women. In the Scriptures, we have questions that are asked by God. God often asks people questions and people ask God questions. In the Scriptures, we have questions that Satan asks. In the Scriptures, we have questions that angels ask. In the Scriptures, we have questions that demons ask. And so there are a multitude of questions found both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. As we examine the great questions of the Bible, I believe that we will discover answers to the most important questions that we could possibly even ask. You see, as curious as our questions may be, and as important as we may think they are, the great questions of the Bible are divinely inspired by God. And as we walk through the Scriptures and we look at these questions that are asked and oftentimes answered in the pages of the Bible, we will have many of our questions answered. I'll say it this way. We will at least have the ones that we need to have answered, answered in the ways that we need them to be answered. Today's questions that we're focusing on are found at the beginning of our Bibles and are asked of the first people we are introduced to in the Scriptures. These are questions from the beginning that have stood the test of time. They are indeed what I would call foundational questions. From the divine storyline of the first family, we discover three primary questions that 
impact everything about us as believers. There is the question of authority, there is the question of accountability, and there is the question of responsibility. And so I want us to look there beginning in chapter 3 and verse 1. The first question that we find in all of the Bible is in chapter 3 and verse 1. And it is the question of authority. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Has God indeed said... One of the most fascinating things to me about the first question in all of the Bible is that it was not asked by a man or a woman or even God, but it was asked by Satan himself. And it was a question that was asked in order to undermine God's authority. It is significant, the origin of this question. It's intended to cause doubt as Satan talks to Eve and asks, has it God indeed said? The actual answer to the question was no, God had not said exactly what he was asking. As God indeed said, you shall not eat from every tree of the garden. No, he said you couldn't eat from one. And so Satan is lying. He is deceiving. He is manipulating. But he is asking a question of authority, a question that undermines God's authority. The devil hates God's word. And the first thing we see in the first question on the pages of the history of mankind is a question to undermine the word of God. Has God indeed said? You see, if the devil can get you to doubt God's word, then your faith will be feeble and you will live in fear all of your life. If the devil can get you to God, if he can undermine God's word in your life, look at what he did to Eve. Look at, look at how it led Eve into disobedience, which brought about sin, which brought about death to the entire human race. The question for us this morning as we look at this particular question of authority is, is the Bible God's word or is it not? If we answer yes, then what place of authority does the Word of God hold in our own lives? You see, in society today, the Word of God is being questioned. It is being undermined. And we are in the 21st century, and the fact of the matter is, this is a, an undermining that has been going on for a long, long time. Has God really said that? 
does God really mean that? Is that really authority for us that we have to live by in today's culture? And there's this continual undermining of the Word of God that began in the Garden of Eden. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is writing to young Timothy about the Word of God. And he says, from, uh, uh, he says, uh, all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. It is profitable for godliness, for rebuke, for correction. And the emphasis in the text is on the Scripture being divinely inspired by God. Paul knew that the Scriptures were inspired, and that's what he taught. That's what he wrote. Jesus knew, and that's what he speaks about throughout the New Testament. The question of authority is a real question for us today. Who or what is the authority in your life? Is the Bible the Word of God? And if it is, is it authoritative in your life? I read a story that came from a, a naval magazine. And uh, maybe you've heard this story before. There was uh, a ship that was out to sea, and it was doing maneuvers. It was on a lookout. It was late. It was dark. It was a foggy night. After noting the coordinates, the captain recognized that his ship was on a collision course with another vessel. And so the captain immediately instructed, signal the ship, we are on a collision course, advise that you change course 20 degrees. The return signal countered and just simply said, advisable for you to change course 20 degrees. Captain signaled, I am a captain, change course 20 degrees. The response was, I'm a seaman second class. You'd better change 20 degrees. Well, by that time, the captain was getting very angry. The captain signaled back. He said, I'm a battleship. Change course 20 degrees. The reply came, I'm a lighthouse. You make the call. That's how God's word is. We may be sending signals that we don't want it to be that way, but God's Word never changes. God's authority never changes. It is always constant. Whenever a change of course is required, we must make the adjustments. When we talk about God's Word being the authority, that is what we are talking about. We must possess a firm conviction that the Bible is the Word of God and that it is authority in every area of life. If we don't possess that firm conviction, we will make no progress in our spiritual lives. Adrian Rogers once noted about the Bible and the authority of the Word of God. Salvation depends on our understanding of the gospel message of the Bible. Assurance of salvation depends on resting in the truths of the Bible. 
Your spiritual growth depends on living by the principles of the Bible. Your confidence in witnessing to others depends upon your understanding of God's Word being authoritative. You need to answer the question today about authority about who is the authority in your life and whether or not you believe the Bible is absolutely, positively the Word of God from the beginning to the end. Can I tell you it will change your life forever when you begin to have confidence and understand that it's authoritative from the beginning to the end. And you, you may well hear, not audibly, and maybe not the exact words, but as you live your life on this journey, you may well hear, has God really said that? Do I really have to obey that? Do I really have to believe that? Do I really have to think that way? Has God really said? Has God really spoken to us? And the answer is, praise the Lord, yes, He has. He has really said. He has really said that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. He has really said that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's really said those things. So we have an authoritative word from God. And we see the first question posed to man by Satan is the same question that is undermining the Word of God even today. Second question found within the context of this first family is a question that is posed to Adam. It is a question of accountability. In chapter 3, still in verse 9, it says, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Well, most of us realize from the beginning that God didn't, it's not that God did not know where Adam was, right? Since God knows everything and sees everything, he knew exactly where Adam was. This was a question meant to cause personal introspection because Adam knew where he was too. They both knew where he was physically hiding in the garden. When you read further, in verse 10, it says, So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And what a sad commentary that is when we read earlier how he walked with God in the garden in the cool of the day. Where are you? where he's at physically, but he also knows where he's at spiritually, and this is what God is bringing to his attention. I'm naked. I'm afraid. I'm hiding because sin has entered into my life, and now I'm on the run. And so we have this question of accountability. It's a question that God is bringing into the life of Adam to hold him accountable for his sin. The question for us is the same question. Where are you in proximity to God this morning? 
Where are you in relationship to the Lord? God was reminding Adam that he was not where he was supposed to be. That he was hiding, that he was not enjoying all of the blessings of the garden that he had put him there to enjoy and put before him to enjoy. And now he is hurting. Now he is guilty. Now he is sinful. Now he is shameful. And God says, where are you, Adam? So that Adam is being confronted. And we have here before us a question of accountability. God was holding Adam accountable. And the truth of the matter is, God holds us accountable as well. God still holds us accountable for our behavior. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 12, the Bible says, So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. We do not live this life in isolation. We do not live this life without being held accountable. Some may think, well, it seems that I'm getting away with some things. Seems like I'm not being held accountable for uh, some of the things that I'm kind of hiding from God. But the truth is, the Holy Spirit is probably doing you like, if you're a believer, like God was doing Adam saying, where are you? Where are you? You need to come back. You need to come back to me. The fact of the matter is, we're all going to be held accountable by God. And we live in a society, and we have a sinful nature that just simply does not like that fact. We don't like it. Nobody wants to be held accountable. We, we want to be our own man. We want to be our own woman. We, we want to do our own thing. We want to do it the way we want to do it. And we don't want anybody to tell us that we're doing it wrong. We don't want to be held accountable. I can remember when I was a young boy, I used to spend a lot of time at my grandmother's. And some of you heard this morning, she passed away yesterday. Uh, in the morning, uh, we'll be flying out to go to Mississippi to do her funeral. I'll be preaching her funeral. Um, and I have a lot of lost people in my family, so I'd appreciate your prayers as we go uh, down there this week. But we used to spend a lot of time at her house, especially on Sundays. We'd go over there after church, and we would have a big meal, and a lot of the family would be there. We'd just enjoy time. Well, her yard seemed like it was huge to me. It was a very small yard, but there was a, a, a line of trees and woods there, and I'd go in and play in those woods. And my grandfather, who's been dead for 21 years, he had an old car that was pushed up into the edge of the woods, and they had a, a gravel driveway. So as a young boy, I was mischievous. I, I would do all kinds of things in that yard. I would play in, the, in that old beat-up beat car. I'd climb trees. I, I would do what little boys do. Well, one day I picked up a handful of those rocks, and my intention was to throw it over the car. And I reared back and I threw it, and it went right through the back windshield, and the windshield just shattered. And, of course, people started coming out of the house to find out what was going on. And uh, they started questioning me. 
And uh, I had a great answer for them. I said, let me tell you what happened. There's a wild boy that lives in these woods. And I said, he came out here and he threw rocks through that and he ran off. That's a true story now. That's what I told him. And would you believe they didn't believe me? But even at that young age, I didn't want to be held accountable. I didn't want to be held accountable so badly that I made up a story. And it was even a story that was unbelievable, but I was still telling it because I didn't want to be held accountable for my actions. If we're honest this morning, that's a picture of all of us. That's a picture of Adam and Eve who began to immediately blame others for their actions. When we are being held accountable by God, when the Holy Spirit is whispering in our hearts and saying, Hey, where are you? And we're reminded of something that we may have done or how we've drifted away. We immediately begin to say, God, if it wasn't so hard... If it wasn't for so-and-so, and we began to try to get out from under being held accountable. You, you may not and probably won't hear the exact words that God asked to Adam. But when you and I sin, the Holy Spirit of God convicts us. And He reminds us of whose we are and where we are. Because God cares enough about us for us to be right in our relationship with Him. And our response to accountability should not be to run and hide. It should not be to place blame on others. Well, God, you just, you know, I'm this way because. Can I tell you something this morning? Regardless of what pop psychology tells you today, you are responsible for your actions. No matter what your past has been like. We all come from different walks of life. We've all experienced different things. But if we've come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we have come to the point of being forgiven of our sins. And we must realize we cannot blame our present or our future on our past. But we must take responsibility. We must be accountable for our actions. This, the, the last question this morning from the same family, although this time it's from one of the sons or to one of the sons, which is Cain. These questions couldn't have come at a better time, really, because we've just finished up our series in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 4, the next chapter, and in verse 9, we find the question of responsibility. When the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? That is a great question. It is a question that still needs to be answered today. It is a question that could be a sermon in and of itself. But what we have here 
is the instance that we covered a few weeks ago where Cain has killed his brother Abel. We have a dysfunctional family in Adam and Eve because of sin. And we see the first murder that takes place. One of the siblings killing the other. And now we have God coming again and doing what? Holding accountable once again. And the question that Cain, in his rebellious heart, in his sinful heart, asked of God is, am I my brother's keeper? And in fact, when you read that, he says, at the very beginning, he just outright lies to God. I do not know. Here's what he says. Anytime we're trying to hide from God, anytime we're trying to hide sin in our life, we're going to lie. You see it over and over again in Scripture. We're going to lie to try to cover it up. I don't know. And then he poses, he's bold enough to pose a question to God. And I have to imagine it was sarcastically asked, Am I my brother's keeper? He asked the question in order to try and escape that responsibility. The question for us, the question for me, am I my brother's keeper? Are you your brother's keeper? Are we our brother's keeper? Well, when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees what the greatest commandments were, he said the first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And he said the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And we have the parable in the New Testament of the good Samaritan who is praised, commended by the Lord for getting off of his donkey and using his time and his money to bandage the wounds of the one who had fallen prey to thieves when all the other religious people walked by. This question that is posed by Cain to God is a question of responsibility. What are we responsible for? What is What was he responsible for? I can remember also in the community that I grew up in, my brother was five years younger than me. And so there was enough difference to where uh, there were times in life where we didn't have a lot in common. There were times when I had the ability to go do things and he couldn't because he was younger. But, but we would get around uh, in the neighborhood as boys. We'd play football. We'd play baseball. We'd ride bikes. We'd run through, the, run through our little town and through our community. And uh, I can remember when my brother was around, I guess, probably eight or so. And I'd have been around 13. Maybe he was around seven. But there was still five years difference. And I'd say to mom and dad, I'm going outside to play. And I'll be back later. And they knew I'd be somewhere in the community. And my brother would ask me, can I go with you? And I would say, no. You can't go with me. You're going to hold me back, right? I mean, I'm going to have to watch that over you because you're younger. And so I would say no. So eventually he learned to go ask mom and dad. And so every once in a while, mom and dad would say, yes. And then I would say, I I would just, you know, I would complain and I would gripe and I'm going to have to, you know, I did not want to be responsible for him. I knew him. And I knew that when we went out, 
that he was going to be a pest, that he was going to be a, a source of aggravation, that, that I was going to have to defend him against my friends at times because he was going to aggravate them and then they would get into it and I'd have to defend my brother. And I learned a little bit then about it, what it meant to be my brother's keeper. I was responsible for him at that time. No matter what happened, I would be held accountable when we got home for what happened to him as well. Now that was my biological brother, but the truth of the matter is Scripture teaches us that we are our brother's keeper. That we have a responsibility when it comes to the human race. Whether we like it or not, we have a great responsibility for our fellow man. The Bible teaches us this. Jesus spoke of the poor and the less fortunate. If we are not careful, we will adopt the attitude of Cain. More so than we adopt the attitude of the good Samaritan. And the attitude of Cain, though it was following a murder, was still is still the attitude of this. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for helping these people? Am I responsible for looking after those people? Surely I'm not responsible for the hurt and the pain that someone else is experiencing in terms of helping them. What business is that of mine? They've made their bed. Now they can lie in it. They lay down with dogs. They get up with fleas. That's not my fault. So we have this question of responsibility. Now, how responsible are we? That's between you and God. Situations you know about that God brings into your life, you need to respond as the Holy Spirit leads. We can't save the whole world, but we can die trying. Right? And so there is this question of responsibility that echoes down through the pages of Scripture after Cain actually asked this question of God. To what extent are we responsible? We are responsible to the extent that God brings it into our lives and gives us the ability to respond and to be helpful and to bring about resolution, redemption, whatever it might be. This room is full of people this morning. You all know different people than I do. I know different people than you do. God brings people into your life on purpose, not on accident. There are people that cross your path that need your help. There are people that, that cross your path that when you get to heaven one day, I believe God's going to say, why didn't you? Because, well, God, because... Well, God, am I my brother's keeper? And 
so there's a question of responsibility. And maybe this morning you're beginning to, to see what I saw as I began to study. That is the significance of the first three questions first three primary questions in the Bible. Between these questions, there are a few uh, sub-questions asked, but these are the three primary questions. Satan asked Eve a question. It's a question of authority. God asked Adam a question. It's a, it's a question of accountability. And then Cain asked God a question. It's a question of responsibility. Who is the authority and who am I accountable to and who am I responsible for? Can I tell you that these are foundational questions that permeate the entire Christian life every single day. Not just every once in a while. The Bible is the very Word of God, and it is authoritative in every area of life. Yes, God really has said. He really has spoken to us. We, each and every one of us, whether we want to be or not, are accountable to God and will ultimately be held accountable when we see Him face to face. And we are responsible for the hurt and the pain and the people that we see around us. Can I ask you something? If the church isn't going to respond to that, who is? If the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not going to respond to the hurting people around us, if we're going to continue to do our own thing and have our own way and, and, and play, play in this world and keep walking by and saying, am I my brother's keeper, who's going to respond? And so there's a tremendous responsibility placed upon us from the very Word of God. Great questions of the Bible that calls us to think, that calls us to respond, that calls us to grow spiritually as we respond in a positive way. Thank you for listening to the Word of God Speak, the sermon podcast of Pastor Lee Merck. We hope that you were blessed by today's episode.